0: Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMac Talks Press. Welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I'm Bridget McGowan, and today I am joined by Lois Kramer. Lois, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bridget. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, you know how thrilled I am. I'm just thrilled to bits because as I shared with you off camera or off microphone, I purchased your book, Book More Business, Make Money Speaking years ago. And it's just, it stayed in my collection. It is my go-to whenever I have a question about the speaking business. So to have you here, to have a conversation. I'm just over the moon. So listeners, I'm sorry, this is probably going to be a selfish conversation here today. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I'm i so happy you like the book
1: and I'm honored to be with you.
0: Ah, uh, Absolutely. Now, this surprises me about you. I learned that when it comes to being a confident speaker, it's a yes, it's a no, it's kind of complicated for you. Talk to us about that.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, as a mere mortal, Bridget, (laughs) I experience what um, most people do. Here's what makes me nervous about public speaking at this point. I've been in this business now 23 years. And I am not nervous about speaking anymore. I was at the beginning, I had uh, actually, I called it good nerves good nerves that kept me on task and, and, um, but at this point I'm right before I go out, I have a few mantras I repeat. And the reason I do that is just to keep me focused, my nerves or my maybe nerves isn't even the right word, Bridget, but my concern is that my message be the right fit for the people in front of me, that what I have today is going to feed them what they need. More than it is being nervous in front of people. It's just that I want this information to be a great fit for the people sitting in front of me. And I used to do uh, corporate sales teams, uh, sales for corporate sales teams. I don't anymore. The only thing, the only people I speak to now are groups of professional speakers.
0: When you were talking about that that concern over making sure what you've prepared is going to be a perfect fit for the audience, I'm sitting here just nodding my head because I think any speaker who really wants to make sure he or she does a fantastic job, that is just constantly on replay in your mind. Have you ever had a situation where you're presenting and there's just a vibe, there's something where it feels like it's not quite what the audience needs. Has that ever happened to you? You know, I have to tell you that I
1: I probably should say yes, but I'm actually going to tell you no. Let me tell you why I'm telling you no. From the beginning of my business, Uh, I utilize an instrument that I call a pre-program questionnaire, and it lets me know who's sitting in front of me, what they need from me. I've talked to the person who made the decision to bring me in, what they want to accomplish in the meeting, and what are their expectations. So I have done a pretty good job. And by the way, I did that early on in my business, even when I was waiving my fee and speaking for free. I still want to make sure that when I'm in front of somebody, I know what's going on. I know who's in the audience. And if you utilize a pre-programmed questionnaire, you will be more centered when you get in front of the audience. I highly recommend it.
0: Absolutely. My number one go-to question, if I don't have the time to get anything else answered, it is what do you want the audience to know or to be able to do? by the end of my presentation, if I get nothing else out of them. I I think that's, you know, I
1: think that's incredibly smart. I'll I'll tell you one time when I was doing a sales presentation for Mm -hmm. a corporate sales team, um, my pre program questionnaire, I went over it. It was uh, three weeks until my program. Went over it. And the gentleman told me, we've laid off 25% of our sales team this week. Now, if I didn't know that, had I not known that, and I would have been introduced and come out clapping and saying, we love selling, I would have been met with horror. And because I knew that, when I was introduced, I came out and I was able to say, I know this is probably the most stressful time in your professional life. And the reason I'm here is to help you be productive and to be patient and to be engaged so that you can deal with what's going on you know it can make a big difference the last question on my pre-programmed questionnaire Bridget is is there anything that you think I need to know before I come in any big event that's happened recently and that was the answer I got
0: wow now that's a smart question too that's an incredibly smart question because they'll give you all of the details, audience size, AV exactly. that they're going to provide, yes. location, yes. right. They give you all of that, but then they may fail to, and fail isn't a good word, but they may just omit, yeah. not, not uh, purposefully omitting yeah. it, but just thinking yeah, of mean, no consequence.
1: If if I'm doing a sales program, they want me to feed my information to the people in the audience and If I hadn't asked the question the way I did, it may have been that they would have thought it didn't make any difference. We just may not have as big of an audience as we thought we were going to. But mindset of the participants, I think, is extremely important. And so several times during that program, I I will never forget this, several times during that program, I alluded to the pressure that they were under to perform and to be productive and uh, it turned out to be a great event, but I think it would have been a horrible had I not known that going in. So it's as much market intelligence as you can do uh, before you go into a program, I think the better. And that alone will help with your nerves or feeling pressure if you know the lay of the land.
0: I agree. And you quickly form a connection with the audience just in those opening words where you said, I know this is a tough time. That right there, it starts to establish rapport between the speaker and the audience because they immediately start to think, she gets me. She understands where I'm coming from. She's not about to stand here and talk over my head or talk about something that just is not any." Uh, of in, Of any interest to me right now she gets yeah, i it. think you know I, I think it sets you up for success it does if, if you have some good pre program questions it does it does uh, everybody uh, Lois is just a total rock star if you want to be able to grow your business. If you wish you could wave a magic wand and make your marketing and selling easier, if you always want to approach prospects in a powerful, compelling way. I'm here to tell you that Lois has written a book, which I mentioned early on, Book More Business, Make Money Speaking. It's been adopted by several National Speakers Association chapters as a curriculum for speaker academies. And the author, Lois Kramer, our guest today, uh, and Kathy Fioc, also have written the speaker author, Sell More Books, and book more speeches. Lois has worked in the speaking industry for 20 plus years. She has presented at every single NSA chapter, National Speakers Association chapter in the United States multiple times, as well as members of the Global Speakers Federation in the United Kingdom, Scotland, Australia, and India. Lois is an avid reader, has a yellow lab for an intern, and although she has traveled extensively over the years, On our show today, her only layover was in her kitchen. Lois, uh, we are going to learn so much from you today. One thing I noticed in your book was there's a question. And it reads, expert or generalist? Which route... Should a speaker go, whether you are just getting started, whether you've are you been in it for a while, or whether you have no interest in being a professional speaker at all, you're just trying to up your game and be more confident, should you be an expert in an area, or should you be a generalist and kind of a jack or jill of all topics? I think you need to be
1: an expert, and I think in all things at all times, either starting out. Stick with your expertise. And I'll tell you, I'll give you an example in the speaking industry, since that's my forte here. Clients are willing to pay more for people who have a depth of expertise in a, even in a specific industry. And so when I'm working with clients, whether they're jump a speaking practice or they're looking to up-level their speaking game, um, I'm always telling them, narrow, narrow, narrow your focus, and target market. It's the keys to the kingdom. You will be so much more appealing. Plus, you create a momentum for your business. For example, I did, when I spoke on sales, I spoke to a lot of financial service firms in the financial service industry. Every time I worked for a bank or a credit union, other banks and credit unions were interested in hiring me associations of banks and credit unions were interested in hiring me because they could see themselves in my expertise. And so you really think, well, it will be easier if I'm a generalist, I'll attract more people. And the opposite is actually the truth.
0: You're right about that. What is one of the biggest mistakes you've seen speakers make? Um,
1: I think that lots of times speakers are not good at leveraging. And this is what I mean by that. Every time you give a speech, you should, go back to your, um, you should go back to your office. And this is, quite frankly, this would work in any industry. I'm just going to use speaking since that's mine. You go back to your office after you've just had a great event. You've done a great job for a client. And you, you think to yourself, wow, I want to make that happen again. How can I make that happen again? So you start thinking, okay, who, who am I going to reach out to? I want you to take the specific home run that you just hit and think to yourself, who needs to know that I just spoke here and they loved my program? So for example, if I spoke at Bank of America to their personal finance team, other banks Probably regional banks, not the little uh, mom and pop next door, but regional banks, bank systems need to know that Bank of America uh, thought I was good enough to bring in to part of their team. Credit unions will be interested. Mortgage houses will be interested. Accounting firms will be interested. Uh, People who do taxes will be interested. Mutual fund companies will be interested. And then you take Bank of America. And ask yourself or ask the person that that, uh, you're insider in the company, what associations does Bank of America belong to? Because every association they belong to may be a good prospect for you if you were a good fit for Bank of America. And my sense has always been every time you work for a private company, ask what associations they belong to. Because there may be opportunities there. Their their needs will be pretty much the same. The expertise they want will be pretty much the same. And yet my sense has always been that a lot of speakers and consultants aren't good at this. Uh, They just go back and they think, how can I make this happen again? And I, I think we make marketing, regardless of our business, we make marketing hard when we don't target, when we don't set specific parameters, uh, for what we're going to do so if I say uh, Bridget I've got a great program on customer service and everybody needs it everybody who wants to have customers come back again and again need it I could I have a couple of choices I can one call everybody and see if they're interested or I can say you know I'm going to carve out health care customer service and healthcare. And, as for the time that i 'm going to spend doing outbound marketing i 'm going to just reach out to people in the healthcare industry. Anyone else who finds me on the web, reads a blog, social media, or is referred to me, regardless of industry they 're in, if they 're a fit, if they have my fee and i 'm open i 'm in. But I think it just allows us to be uh, productive when we're when we 're doing our own selling. And most of us in the speaking and consulting industry are solopreneurs. And so we've got to be super productive with our time. And I think
0: that that's one way of doing it. I heard you talk about speaking for free versus speaking for a fee. Is there a right or wrong lane to be in for that? Should you ever speak for free? Should you never?
1: Yeah, here's the thing. This is something that I'm asked all the time first of all, let me tell you, I never speak for free. However, there are certain situations where I'm willing to waive my fee. So that's the term I use. I don't say speak for free. I will say if you approached me and you had a group, Bridget, I would say, Bridget, certain times I'm willing to waive my fee in consideration of value. Now, you'll have to pay my expenses and treat me like a queen. (laughs) <laughs> but, but sometimes I'm willing to wave my feet in consideration of value. So I have got a whole chapter in my book, Make Money Speaking on this, Bridget. And it's, what do you have in mind as value? What would be value? Now, for me, when I was speaking, video was very valuable for me. I could use it to market myself. Um, I, testimonials were very valuable to me. Referrals, very valuable to me. Um, So be thinking, what is value to you? The one thing I think the biggest thing is, are the people in the audience prospects for you? If they're not, you might want to pass. But if everybody in the audience is someone potentially who could hire you, lots of times national level associations, Bridget, do this. They won't pay anybody to speak. Yet they get these great speakers and people go, "Wow, wow, how do they do this? They do it because everybody in the audience is going back to their own business. Associations are made up of businesses. They're going back to their own business and they may be a good prospect for the person they just saw on the platform. So, um, you know, on my website, when I spoke on sales, I had a frequently asked questions page. First question, do you speak for free? Because that's what people ask us all the time. Answer, Absolutely. (laughs) I look for 10 to 12 opportunities each year where I'm willing to waive my fee. If you'd like to apply to be one of them, let me know and I'll send you a form to fill out. The second question, by the way, on that frequently asked questions was, um, what do you speak on besides sales? Answer, nothing. Nothing. If you want something else I'll refer you but I won't do it. Sales is my expertise. So I stayed in my lane. And believe it or not I got hired. Because if they were looking at somebody who spoke who spoke for example on sales and leadership and customer service or they were looking at for somebody who just spoke on sales, I
0: think I had an edge. I think so too. <laughs> would think so too. That's an outstanding answer. That is so helpful because you really want to look at what else is valuable to you and what else is valuable to your business. And it's not necessarily always currency. So like you said, video, if you're really wanting to extend your speaking business, grow your speaking business, if you're just getting started, that is golden, getting that yes. video. Secondarily would be pictures, professionally Uh, done professionally shot pictures. Uh, So there's so many, so many um, pieces, I guess I would say that you can get instead of an actual check that will compensate you for speaking. You know,
1: when I started uh, doing sales programs, I um, was going, I live in St. Louis. I was looking for speeches all, all around St. Louis and I wasn't charging for any of them. What I wanted What was the most important thing for me at that time was a good testimonial. Testimonials are the economic capital of your speaking practice. They will say she can do what she's telling you she can do. So I would, my God, I spoke at every chamber of commerce around here, Kiwanis Club, the Elks, the Moose, I called it the animal circuit. (laughs) I did the animal circuit starting up and those testimonials, the interesting thing, I put them up on my website. And people who would look at them assumed I was paid, and I didn't dissuade them from thinking that, but they assumed I was paid. And based upon that economic or that cred on that platform, I was able to uh, leverage that into paid engagements. And that's what I'm always telling people. Early on, even more important than money, and believe me, I think money's important, are the testimonials saying you can do what you say you do.
0: Yep, yep, yep. In chapter thirty of your book, "Book More Business: Make Money Speaking," you share a formula. It's chapter thirty, you share a formula for creating and organizing a speech. It's PSA: Point, Story, Application. Yes. Can you talk to us about those three yes. pieces of the formula.
1: And, and I have to tell you, this is not my formula. This. We have a wonderful woman in National Speakers Association named Glenna Salisbury. She lives in Arizona, and um, I believe she's retired now, uh, But years ago, she opened up, uh, was the opening speaker at an NSA convention, and she spoke on, "How have I she's like a Hall of Fame speaker. I mean she's incredible. How do I write my speeches? How do I plan it? What's my formula? And this was Glenna's formula. And it was the best opening thing I've, I've ever seen, I think. And afterwards, I ran up to her and I said, Can I write about this? I want to write a blog about it. And I'm going to say that I got this all from you. And she said, Oh, absolutely. And then when I wrote my book, I wrote her and said, May I include this in my book? And she was happy to have it done. And this is a great way not only to approach speaking, but anytime you're writing, if you're writing a blog, a chapter, an article, uh, even a white paper. And it's, um, it's that formulatic approach. First, you want to ask yourself, what is the point that I want to make to this audience? Then I'll tell them the point. Then I want to tell them a story with that point in it. I want them to see themselves in this story. And I want to make the points memorable. This is the difference to me, Bridget, between a public speaker and a professional speaker. We make our content memorable and digestible because we use stories. So I'm gonna tell a story using that uh, point. And then finally, it's P point S story A application. Then I'm going to take that point and that story and apply it directly to the people who are sitting in front of me listening to it. Point story application. It's a great approach as you're thinking about your content when you're speaking, writing.
0: I think it's terrific and it's Glennis. It's fantastic and it achieves so much for those people who just want the nitty gritty down to the bottom line. You're giving them the point. You're giving them the, the basic information for those where they need to have a little bit more oomph. They need a little bit more connection. They need a little bit more color the story gives it to them. And then for everybody being able to see how does this transcend this meeting right here? How absolutely do I right. insert this into my life, my job, what I've got going on? We've got well application. Said.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. That's that's just it. I think that when people hire us to do something, our job is to, you know, I always say, Bridget. When somebody is hiring a speaker or a consultant or an expert of any kind, they're hiring us to move the needle in some way in their organization. And I think that how can we be the most effective doing that? And believe me, if you give people, make your point, you give them a story that illustrates it and then tell them why it applies to them specifically. I think that it really makes it an
0: indelible point and makes it memorable. Golden. You're absolutely golden. Lois, I know you have a question for me. Before you give it to me, I have one more for you. Actually, not just one more. I have others for you. But here it is. Why do you think having a positioning statement is key to getting opportunities to speak?
1: You know, I started my whole business based on a positioning statement, this thing that I created, and, and I'll tell you why I did this, believe it or not. I started a business because my sense was that most professional speakers really sucked when people asked them what they did. <laughs> most people would answer, um, uh, Bridget, I'm Lois Kramer. I speak on sales. So they would say, I speak on and give you a topic, which says nothing really beyond beyond what it is. Okay. So my take was, how can we actually position ourselves in front of a client by concept and outcome of working with us? By concept and outcome of working with us. So for my um, uh, speaking and consulting practice now, I say I work with speakers, consultants, and experts who want to book more business, make more money, and monetize their message. Now, or I could have said, I'm a consultant in the speaking industry. When I spoke on sales, I said, I work with organizations that want to fast forward their selling skills so they'll be more successful at what they do. And I think the key to it is giving a concept and an outcome and having it be no longer than seven seconds. Um, you know, elevator speeches we hear all the time, Bridget. I always say I have never spoken in an elevator nor been in the audience in an elevator, <laughs> but typically that's too long. If someone um, has an interest or quite frankly has no interest, it can uh, 40 seconds can be a long, long time. But if I tell you my positioning statement, you're either going to say how do you do that? Which is typically the answer. And I'm going to say, well, thanks for asking because notice I didn't say anything about speaking, writing, consulting, uh, anything about that. I'm going to say, tell you the vehicles I use to put this in the marketplace. Um, or they might say, um, tell me more about that. So I'll say, well, I, you know, I help people do blah, 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 blah. And then I'm going to be really replying where they're in, to where their interest is. Or the last the last thing they might say is, how nice for you. Now, we don't like to hear that because that means I have no interest whatsoever. But I think that's a good thing to know. I think that's a good thing to know. If somebody doesn't have an interest, I'm in a networking event, for example, it allows me to move on and not waste my time or theirs. So a positioning statement, concept and outcome of working with you And I can tell you that when people are looking for speakers, consultants, and experts, people like to buy outcomes. They don't want to buy a process. After they buy the outcome, they will put themselves through the process to get to the outcome. But I would rather say, um, uh, I fast forward your selling skills so you'll be more successful at what you do than say, uh, Bridget, I share my 99 step. System to close more sales. I mean, you're just going to, your eyes are going to glaze. And <laughs> right. you, you're going to be thinking, I don't want to put myself through that. But if I say, fast forward your selling so you'll be more successful, that can be something that you're interested in doing. So it allows you to speak by concept and outcome of working with you. And my clients will tell you it's made their life a lot easier because they always know what to say. And My positioning statement is everywhere. The emails that we exchange, it's underneath my signature line on social media. Every profile says the exact same thing. I work with speakers, consultants, and experts who want to book more business, make more money and monetize their message. So just the mere repetition of it helps me brand
0: myself. Right, right. I like how you are letting people know what it is what, what, it, like, what's the difference that you make? What is, yes. I shouldn't say problem that you solve, but, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. What is the well, problem yes. that I solve for you?
1: I think that that's ultimately what we have to be able to answer, Bridget, uh, to people who are interested in us. And so when I give my uh, positioning statement for when I did sales, it was upping your selling game, upgrading your speaking skills and being more successful at every point of sale, qualifying, closing, every point of sale. And I I think that that's what people want to know. They're hiring us because they see some need for what it is that we do. Now they just have to decide, are
0: you the one I want to fill that need? Exactly, exactly. Concept and outcome. Lois, what is your question for me?
1: My question for you is, what makes you nervous when you
0: present? What makes me nervous when I present? You know, it doesn't matter how many times I present, where I present, or what the topic is. And even if I've presented on the topic a million times, Lois, what makes me nervous is wanting to ensure I do a fantastic job. That's what makes me nervous. And it's, it's the wildest thing I'm talking. uh, You don't see it outwardly. My knees aren't knocking. I'm not sweating. I'm not wringing my hands. I'm not doing, you don't see anything outwardly, but if you watch me before presentation, I, I, I want to be by myself. I'm not interested in the conversation I just need to be alone because yeah, I like to through. have a moment. I like to have yes. a moment. Yes. I don't want a phone call from anyone saying, Hey, have a great presentation. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want all of that. I know it's well-meaning. I don't want any of that. I'm so nervous. I know it's going to go well, but I'm I'm choreographing everything. And I'm thinking of what I'll say here and what move I'll make and where I'm standing and what question I will ask and. And all of that, and I'm just playing everything through my, my mind, making sure I do a phenomenal job Yes, is what makes me nervous, Lois. What yep. makes you nervous? What makes you nervous? Well, you know,
1: I'll tell you, isn't it interesting how what makes us nervous can change over time? In the beginning, I was always thinking, I hope I remember every, everything I want to say, you know? <laughs> Then it came to, okay, I feel like I'm going to remember enough. I hope there are enough people in the audience. I hope people actually show. And then, you know, I get to that point where, where I'm saying, I want to meet the needs of the people who are sitting in front of me. And that's another way of saying, be successful, as you just said, that's just another way of putting it. So, you know, it can change and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I do think that it changes with experience. I think it changes with experience.
0: You're right because if I turn the clock back to one of my first presentations, which would have been back in 2001, that would have been my biggest concern: will I remember everything? Yes. Yeah. That right. <laughs> and then you're absolutely right. It shifted to okay. I'll remember enough to get through the hour. Are there going to be enough bodies in the room Uh, (laughs) so I can create an engaging experience here? And, you know, I think about, I talk about this ever so often when I blog, going to the third concern. Oftentimes I see speakers not thinking about this and this is it. Taking what you know to give the audience what it wants. Oftentimes, and this goes back to what you were talking about earlier with that pre-game questionnaire is what I'm going to call it, where you make sure that you find out more than just demographics and more than just numbers and data, but really find out what is the job in front of you. And sometimes, or a lot of times, I'll see speakers just taking a lot of what they know and giving it to the audience, as opposed to saying, let me think about what do I know so I can give the audience what it wants. Well,
1: and I think that you had said earlier something that's absolutely key. What do they want to accomplish in this meeting? And hopefully when you were talking to them about booking you, uh, you had a conversation saying, what do you want to accomplish? And then you're asking yourself, am I the right person? And If I feel I am, then I need to make my case. I need to make my case to them that, look, what you want to accomplish is exactly what I can do for you. Um, But I think that, you know, I think as speakers, consultants, especially we're in the meeting needs business, that's the business that we're in people are not bringing us people are not bringing me in to entertain. They're bringing me in to fill some void to have some movement within that organization in some way, when I work with speakers they're hiring me to help move the needle in their business, either to uh, jumpstart a speaking practice or um, maybe speak less. I just worked with somebody who came into St. Louis to work with me who actually wanted to speak less but raise his fee. So we're working on a little repositioning in that regard. So I think that the criteria for what you want to accomplish can change, but the questions about what somebody wants to accomplish in a meeting should not change that much. Um, And I think that that's absolutely key. If you have expertise in a certain industry, and you feel you can meet somebody's needs. That's when you've got the top three and you ought to be making your case.
0: And don't feel like you have to accept every speaking opportunity that comes your way. You will have some people who will assume, oh, I saw her speak. I saw him speak. Uh, Let's reach out and see if he'll emcee something for us. Well, you may not be an MC. You may be a phenomenal breakout conference, breakout session speaker. And that's fantastic, but don't feel the need to say, Oh yeah, I'll do that. If, if it's just not your jam. So.
1: It it never works out. It's never a positive experience. You have to gain experience doing what you want to do. Um, I was talking with, um, a client of mine, who decided that he wanted to offer MC duties during the pandemic on Zoom? It was, you know, everybody was hustling to get speaking engagements. We were all doing it on Zoom. They had this need, and he said, I'll do it. And he said it was a huge mistake because I really wasn't very good at it. Um, I tried, I talked to several people who did it beforehand, but I'd already committed to doing it. And I realized this probably isn't a good idea. He made it through it, but he said it, it was stupid for me. To have that be my first experience. Now he's getting more experience and he will be adding that to his repertoire. He's just not doing it yet because he doesn't have enough experience. So I think that, you know, that's one of the things that we discover when we're in a discovery phase, if you will, with a client. What is it that they need? And is it what I do? And if it isn't, I'll refer it. You know, I said one of my questions. If if you want something else besides sales, I'll refer it but i won 't do it
0: yep, absolutely, absolutely. everybody, make sure you go out and get a copy of lois kramer 's book Book More Business make money speaking it 's available on Amazon and anywhere that you like to purchase books. Lois, what else do listeners need to learn from you?
1: Well, I you know, I think that I, I would just add this, it, it kind of like I said, the pre program questionnaire I think is important going in. I think an exit call is important going out, whether you're doing speaking, consulting, or even another service that you're providing for someone. I have, again, another chapter in my book called the follow-up thank you call. And in that call, I call the person who made the decision to bring me in. And I just uh, let them know I wanted to make sure that you were happy, that the feedback you heard was as positive as I heard. And I'm going to ask them for a testimonial at that point because that's what, you know, that's what drives our businesses, testimonials. I'm going to say, if you know of anybody who needs what I do, I absolutely treasure referrals, would love one. And um, one thing that I did, I'll tell you, Bridget, and, and I, I probably shouldn't admit that it was by accident, but totally by accident. I I was out in LA speaking to a corporate sales team. I was doing just what I told you I was doing. And I had several of the sales managers come up to me afterwards and say, boy, did we really need this today? So when I was talking to the guy who hired me, I said, you know what? I loved meeting your sales managers after the meeting. At this point, and then I use one of my phrase that pays, do you think it would make sense? Do you think it would make sense for me to work with your sales managers after this event to actually apply the ideas, tactics, and techniques I talked about on the platform? Because if you do, we can make that happen and you don't have to fly me back out. And he said to me, he said, what would that look like? Well, I had no idea because I had not really thought about it. So I said, I'll have an email uh, on your desk in the morning with some options. And I literally created a little proposal uh, with three options, 30, 60, 90 days follow up. And you put in whatever you want to do. I put in weekly sales meeting. Um, back then, we were recording it on Google. They were the only one who could record something like we're doing now. So if a sales manager couldn't be there, he could access it. He or she could access it. Um, we had uh, meetings uh, every other week. Sales, how, how are we handling sales objections? Bring anything you're hearing and you don't know how to answer and we'll play with it. Um, And then I also had email responsiveness. For example, you can email me. And then the third level, um, which was like, I threw everything in in the kitchen sink was, you can call me if you need me during this time period. Um, And, you know, each one was more expensive than the one below it. And um, I ended up making more money on the back end lots of times than I ever did for a speaking fee. But it was allowing me to take a next step with that client. Kind of get lend an element of accountability, not just have me speak, but have me implement with your team. And these are things you can find out if you do a closure call, um, kind of an after program call, and ask for what you want. You know, I all, one of the things that I say all the time you risk a yes every time you ask for something. So ask for an opportunity. If they say we aren't interested, Great. I'm glad you enjoyed the speech and I'm going to be putting you on my blog list and touching base with you to see when I may next be a good fit for you.
0: I like that. It makes me think of the phrase we hear all the time. The fortune is in the follow up. Yes, You know, oftentimes we talk about the fortune is in the follow-up in terms of trying to track down a prospect, but in this instance, you've already won the business. This is additional follow-up. So the phrase rings true.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and you don't realize that you're coming in this time with the credibility of already being on their platform. They've already invested in you. So if they're happy with what you did, I think that they're going to consider it. It, now it might not happen for any number of reasons. Maybe they don't have a budget or whatever. But um you know, you never know unless you ask. You never know unless you ask.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Lois Kramer, it has been fantastic having you on the show.
1: Thank you. And I've really enjoyed this being being with you, Bridget.
0: Oh, likewise, likewise. Everybody, thank you for listening to the episode. I trust you walked away with a number of valuable strategies to add to your toolkit. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.